Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to the From the Shadows podcast. I am your host, Shane Grove. Um, and uh, unfortunately, not with me again tonight is Jason, super producer. Um, he is under the weather, and I, I think we mentioned this on the last episode. Uh, I'm sure he would appreciate everyone's thoughts and prayers uh, as he tries to recover from another battle that he's that he's having. So we're hoping that Jason... Uh, feels better soon and can get back on the air with us. Uh, I know his uh, diehard fans are, are missing him. So, uh, and I, I guess I'm missing him a little bit too. So, so we're hoping uh, Jason gets well soon. Um, so before we bring uh, the, our guest on, I want to remind everybody that if you have a story or an experience or uh, some sort of expertise you want to come on and talk about, you can find us at From the Shadows podcast on Facebook. You can find us on our forum page on Facebook called After the Shadows. You can find me at Shane Grove Author on Instagram or our From the Shadows uh, Instagram site. Send us a message. Or you can go to the old-fashioned way and just find our website, fromtheshadowspodcast.com. Hit the contact button. It'll send me an email. I promise I'll read it and get back to you. Uh, and if, you know, hopefully we can uh, have you on the show. Um, and also, if you're if you're interested in some extra content, our Patreon page is is uh, going pretty good. And uh, we've got a lot of extra content. We're, we're sticking up there. So uh, our uh, Patreon seem to enjoy that. We It's a it's a fun, uh, fun job trying to uh, keep everybody entertained over there with some extra stuff. So um, so. I want to bring on, and uh, I just had a good long discussion. I, I he mentioned a thought we were already recording when I when we first started talking. I should have. We'd be almost half over with the interview already because we talked about so many so much good stuff. So so joining me is Don Schneider from the Unacknowledged and Unknown uh, YouTube channel, and uh, welcome to the uh, from the shadows podcast don well thank you uh how you doing shane shane uh, i'm i'm doing all right and and i hate to say it because we've talked about showing our age but every time i hear the name schneider all i can think about is one day at a time and a pack of cigarettes rolled up in my white t-shirt <laughs> uh, don't don't laugh i i went i went and that was one of my costumes for uh one of my sister's uh 
Halloween parties. I actually dressed as Dwayne. <laughs> uh, what now did you wear a leather vest or a jean vest? I had I I had actually it looked like a leather vest, but it was actually one of my old suit vests. And I wore over a, a seedy looking white t-shirt with a pack of cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve of the white t-shirt. And actually I had a mustache and I looked pretty much like Dwayne. I uh, the blue jeans and, oh, and the tool pouch. Yes. God, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Anybody under 40 that has no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> go YouTube one day at a time. It was a great set, late 70s, early 80s uh, sitcom. And Schneider was the was the prerequisite handyman that somehow interjected himself into, into Bonnie Franklin and Valley Bertinelli and Mackenzie was it Mackenzie Phillips? Yeah. It was Mackenzie right. Phillips. Yeah. From yeah. Uh, her father was from the mama and papa's. And Michelle Phillips was her mom. Or right? Michelle was her mother. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. He was actually a stand-up comedian. He had been on the Johnny Carson show. So that te- I'm telling you my age right there. Oh, my gosh. So everybody that's listens like, what are these guys talking about? We're, we, we didn't tune in. We didn't tune in to listen to, uh, to, to TV land. You know, revisited. So, 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 Don, go ahead and share with our audience kind of what what you do, like what your passion is, and kind of where and when you got started, and what you've uh, you know what you've been researching here all these years. Yeah, I uh, due to an encounter I had back in 1978, and then again later on. In 1979, in, in southwest New Mexico, I ended up getting into research, searching Bigfoot or what some people call Sasquatch. And uh, that was uh, 79. So it's been almost 45 years I've been doing this. Uh, uh, on my YouTube channel, I believe I've only been doing it for five years. Uh, but uh, I was doing it before. There were personal computers in the house and uh, everybody had a, a cell phone or or digital camera. You know, we had the old uh, uh, the old uh, SLR cameras that weren't digital. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was doing that. Uh, and that resulted in me uh, sort of dialing down in, in the 90s and into the early 2000s and being a little more uh, focused on it because I was approaching retirement. Uh, and I retired, uh, oh, geez, in 2017, I think it was. Uh, it's been a while. It's been, it's been so much. It's been so much fun that you can't, you can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's true. When you retire, you don't even remember what day, you don't even know what day it is. Yeah, that would apply for people that have no plans for retirement and they have, don't know what they're going to do. They'll tell you to the day and hour when they retired. Me, I was like, I was already running with my interest, not just in Bigfoot, but other things that I was focused on, things that I had an interest in. And it led me to uh, a lot of places I have never been before in the United States. I went to Canada. Uh, done some research out there. Most of my researching was more focusing on looking for footprints, looking for, you know, visual sightings of Bigfoot in the areas. I had, I had like a list, a laundry list of places I had written down all over the United States and definitely in Illinois where I live. 
that I would have to visit based on the BFRO's index of sightings in uh, in in Illinois plus other states. I'd been to Wisconsin, uh, Iowa, uh, across the border uh, into uh, well Tennessee recently, and it brought me uh, a respect for uh, other places, meeting new people too. That uh, unlike people here in the Midwest. Uh, which I'm saying are friendly people too. I'm just it gave me an opportunity to uh, meet people in different walks of life that knew nothing about Bigfoot. It's just that you had to sort of use them uh, as a conduit to get to where you were going. But uh, it all started in '79 when I got surrounded by these creatures. And yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so everybody is screaming like, "Hey, we want to hear this story." So, <laughs> so, so. Yeah, in 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 New Mexico isn't a typical place where you probably think you would even encounter Bigfoot, even though we know, you know, that there's more plenty of sightings out there and and places where you you know um, can encounter them. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I never knew they even you know I didn't even know the term Bigfoot. I didn't really know that. I wasn't like uh, I had watched In Search of. Uh, up until that point and you know with Leonard Nimoy and uh oh yeah and and I think they even probably that was probably my first taste of the uh Patterson Gillen film from 1967 and uh it was never it never made the it was you know just like watching a UFO documentary it made an impression on me but I don't remember the term Bigfoot like never really stuck with me that was just like a a thing that they used during that show to describe the uh, Bluff Creek incident. Uh, but I uh, later on, when I had was living in New Mexico, I moved there in the end of beginning of '79, and I only lived there for not even it was a year, and I had to come back to Illinois. But uh, during that time, I worked weekends for a rancher. And he had a ranch in a town called Cliff, New Mexico, near another smaller community called Gila. And he had told me when I worked on the ranch weekends about Bigfoot. And I I was like, I didn't know if he was talking about a transient, you know, homeless person that was really hairy. I never really wrapped my mind around it. But he he told me how he uh, and I he had livestock and I would go out there and and help him uh, load the pickup truck with bales of hay. And he had range cattle. He had 16 sections of uh, which uh, yeah, I think it was close to 1,600 acres or more. Yeah. So he, uh, we would go out in his pickup truck in these areas where he could run almost down through the arroyos and areas you could drive near the arroyos and, uh, and throw out bales of hay. And then all his Paul Herefords and his range cattle would come running and he told me a story about bigfoot which uh he claimed he was driving back from he cliff i believe it was one evening or one af- late afternoon to silver city new mexico and he saw this creature in up on the off the edge of the road there were these bluffs and cliffs and it was sitting up in those bluffs sort of just sitting there uh, rocking back and forth from left to right. And I remember him telling me this story. And then, uh, and then he, and I told him at the time, 
I said, well, you know, I'm from Illinois, so I do a lot of camp in my area. I've always camped by myself, take my dog with me, throw up a tent or just throw out a sleeping bag and lay out under the stars. And I said, I would go out and do this all the time. And he told me, well, if you're doing that out here, he says, be, he told me, don't do it unless I bring another person. And told me, well, if, if you take your dog, at least you're going to have a little safety. And I just sort of just dismissed it. I thought, well, he's just, you know, he's just worried for me because I'm, I'm the kid from the Midwest. I don't know nothing, which I didn't. I didn't know anything. So eventually I, uh, I had a weekend off uh, from my other full-time job. And I, uh, I set out to the, uh, it's basically an area, it's called the gate, uh, it's sort of a gateway community to the Gila Wilderness. It's a town called Mimbres, M-I-M-B-R-E-S. And uh, it was east of where I lived. I lived in an area called, uh, it's now called Santa Clara, New Mexico. But when I lived there, it was called Central. So they changed the name to Santa Clara. And uh, I drove out to the Mimbres. I remember going through the mountain ranges. It's called the mountain range there is called the Black Range Mountains, which uh, go into the Gila National Wilderness. And I drove to a section called the Neely Nun Monument and parked my car. And I hiked 11 miles down the mountain with my dog and my backpack and got to the mountain valley below where there was a creek bed and set up my camp right there. And uh, went out on a day hike with my dog, almost got lost, got turned around, but it was able to, I was lost for a good hour at least, and was able to find my way back and uh, to my base camp about 40 feet from this creek bed. And about, I wanna say just at dusk, when there was, you could barely see the hand in front of your face. Uh, something walked down the in, into the foothills. I could hear it walking, uh, displacing the uh, the shale and the scree on the side of the mountain. I could hear it walking, and it just came to a point, a butte that overlooks the creek bed in my camp. So it couldn't have been at that point. It walked out to the point of this butte and looked down at me. Now, I, I'm basing it was there based on what I heard, not what I couldn't see anything. So at that point, when I heard that, when I heard it walk out to this butte, it was about 130, 40 feet as a crow flies from where I was sitting at my, my base camp consisted of me, my dog, a bedroll, a little fire, and uh, my backpack. 30, 40 feet away from me, hung in a tree. And at that point, I yelled out to this thing, who goes there? Who is that? And what baffled me is it had no flashlight. And I'm thinking, how is this thing negotiating the terrain without a flashlight? But it sounded like a, a, a you know, a big person, you know, bigger than me, just from the, the heftiness of its footsteps. And then it would your dog, did your dog make any kind of like acknowledgement that there was something or not? I mean, oh yeah, my dog acknowledged it. He, he acknowledged it with this, he had this deep throated growl where he was growling and would occasionally bare his teeth, but he never, I had him on a choke collar and, uh, with a little, what I call a tag chain 
uh, sort of a uh, leader on it. So whatever that was, that's eight inches long. So I could grab him and then the choke chain. Now they're saying nowadays they're saying that's sort of cruel and unusual. But those are the choke chains that would oh, yeah. sort of the spikes on them inside <clears throat> of the links. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never I had my hand inside the choke collar, not on the, not on the leader and uh, thinking he would run off and chase it away like I thought possibly it was a black bear. And uh, it. I've seen dogs chase free range cattle and the black bears away from people and heard stories about it. And I thought, well, if it's a black bear, my dog will just take off and it'll scoot out of camp or away from me. No, my dog sat next to me to the point where I actually took my hand off the choke collar and he never moved. He, he didn't sit down though. He stood next to me while I was basically, I went from sitting position to like on my knees. And standing, and, and and he's he's growling, or he had this deep throat growling going on the whole time this thing was approaching, until I heard it hit the creek, came down off the butte, down the rest of the the side of that mountain, the little foothill area, and then walked across that creek, and the creek was no more than thirty five feet from my base camp, and it walked across this creek bed that was probably 15 feet across maybe a few inches deep in water a flowing water and it just you could hear it go kerplosh 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 just like a person walk right across the creek right into my camp i mean when i mean into my camp it stayed on the perimeter just beyond firelight and uh and and then i pulled out my flashlight and i had one of those old yellow marine flashlights that uh, float in the water. It takes two D cell batteries. And uh, it didn't, it threw maybe not even a 20 foot beam. I think I had weak batteries in it, but it, it stayed just beyond the beam of the flashlight. And I, at one point, did see an outline, uh, a shadow that I estimated was six and a half feet tall at least behind some scrub oaks which were probably no further than I had these scrub oaks in a perimeter or along with cactus in almost a 25 to 30 foot circle around the clearing where I camped. And that's specifically why I took that spot. I didn't want to be uh, into the scrub oaks and into the, uh, the cactus, the snake cactus. I wanted to be sort of clear of that area. And he, uh, this thing, now, I'm assuming the whole time it's just this one individual uh, circled me. I'm assuming it circled me the whole night. This went on to like 4.30 the next morning until it left. And when it left, it left silently. It didn't like it, it left like like a ninja, like it left. I could not hear it leave. But when it walked in and it was circling me, I could hear those footsteps, the scrunching, the heavy breathing. And uh, my dog would change positions. It would be at my 12 o'clock, then it would be at my 6 o'clock, then it would be at my 10 o'clock, then my 3 o'clock. So my dog was constantly changing positions and actually rather quickly. So I, I came to the conclusion later on, I said, there's no way this thing could have moved that fast. There's no way it was moving in circles 
that rapidly around me. So I came to the conclusion there was probably at least two to three other individuals uh, total. So that that was uh, and that went on until 4:30 in the morning, where I was just basically I had a, a drop point buck knife. I took it out of the sheath and I held on to it that entire night because my uh, my gun was in the backpack. Uh, I put my gun in the backpack, forgot about it, and hoisted it up into a tree. So I didn't. I wasn't about to walk out there to the tree, which was actually where that this thing was. One of the points where it was circling, it would have put it under that tree where my backpack was. Was there? Uh, did you have food in the backpack? Uh, I yeah, that's why I hung it because I was worried about black bear. Uh, that yeah. area has black bear and and coyotes and cougars and everything. So the whole, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, God, this black bear is, you know, standing on its hind feet behind the scrub oak and walking bipedally, and uh, and you could hear it just like uh, like there was a sense of uh, like it had. Uh, not emphysema, but like it had some kind of lung conditions, like it was breathing. You could hear it breathing really loudly. And I'd been around black bear and it didn't sound, you know, black bear will sort of snort and make a, a sound like it's a uh, blowing, a blowing sound. Uh, it wasn't that at all. It was totally, I thought somebody had uh, just a lung condition like they had a, uh, you know, angina or emphysema or something, and, and and you could hear it. And my dog was just like he would not go after it. And I just followed my dog lead. My dog's lead. When it would change position and look to its left, it would reposition himself. My dog would, and then I would turn. And this uh, went on from quarter nine thirty quarter to ten till four thirty in the morning, when I finally was able to let my guard down. Yeah, I never got one ounce of sleep that night. I remember hiking back up the mountains and getting in my car thinking I was so, like I had a full pot of coffee in me. I was so hyped up. I had no problem driving whatever it was, the 45 minutes, uh, an hour to get back to my house. I, you know, under normal situations, I would have fell, fell asleep at the wheel, you know, being up all night. But no, oh, I, yeah. was like, I got home and I was like, I was like processing it for for days and weeks afterwards so um now did you relate this story to your boss uh oh the guy in the uh the guy i worked for weekends my part-time boss he was yeah. a rancher I, I i mentioned to him i had gone camping with my dog but i wasn't too embarrassed to tell him that i had been had visitors that night and he told me after i told him he i told him i said uh I'm camping this weekend. And uh, and he had known I was going to be there like uh, Friday night and Saturday night. Because when I got off my day job, I think I took half a day off on a Friday or whatever on my day job. But I was going to spend Friday night and Saturday night. Well, actually, I, I came home Saturday morning. I wasn't about to spend a second night there. So I told my boss about it. He goes, so did you spend two nights there? I go, no, I just spent one night. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, he wanted to know the rest of the story. And I go, I go, I just didn't feel like spending these. You know, I felt I felt like I had screwed up and in, in that. And he had warned me about that. And I wasn't about to tell him, yeah, I was I, I did. I did something dumb. And uh, and he and he said, so you only spent a night. And I go, yeah. He said, did you go by yourself? And I go, well, I took my dog with me. And his comment was, well, at least you had your dog. 
but he says, I wouldn't advise you doing that again. So uh, I think he suspected something was going on. He, I never got to tell him the rest of the story that I had visitors. I held on to that secret for, oh, 30 years, at least 30 years. It wasn't until uh, eight or nine years ago I finally told my wife and uh, my kids uh, I didn't feel I felt, you know, I don't care now what people think. I'm getting old. I don't give a shit what, excuse my French, what people think. And I'm just going to share, say, hey, this is what happened to me. And they knew I was researching Bigfoot, but I didn't want to tell them the reason why uh, that it harkened back to that time. That was sort of. Well, so let me, so let me ask you then. So if that guy, your, your weekend boss does not mention that he had a sighting, would you have thought at the time that it was a Bigfoot? I mean, I know it's kind of hard to, to ask that. Because at the time, at the time it was happening, I never even made the connection it was Bigfoot. I just knew it was something. And I even thought, who was walking in the dark 11 miles from where I parked at the top of the there was these pull-off areas along these hairpin turns along the top of the mountain. And it was near a place called the Neely Nun Monument, which is an area that it's a lookout where if you pull off that road, the hairpin road uh, above this one observation point, if you look out, you'll see this area, these rock formations that are probably several miles away called the Neely Nun Monument. So where I had pulled off was an observation point to actually a scenic overlook toward the Neely Nun Monument. And I hiked down those mountains, those particular Black Range Mountains, to that area. But I had never made the After you told me that story, I never once thought Bigfoot were, you know, in that area, let alone. It, I didn't necessarily. I thought it was just a rancher tale, just like they tell stories. And he had told me multiple stories about how uh, Cole Younger and some members of uh, certain gangs had been on a cowboy outlaws had been to his property and how he had potentially hidden treasure on his property. These are all just stories to me that I didn't necessarily believe held water because he had the ranchers in the area had shared these stories with each other and, you know, they had uh, different outlaws that had been in that part of New Mexico and had uh, hidden their booty, hidden their their their, their cash. And Wait, I was that, thought, was that Billy. Was that Billy the Kid? That was, Billy uh, the Kid, not yeah. not the. But he mentioned uh, Billy the Kid, and there was another one. Uh, 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 trying to think uh, that he mentioned he had been there. Uh, in that section of New Mexico, uh, he said that even, uh, I believe, uh, the guy that was fr actually was actually friends of Billy the Kid, uh, the sheriff, uh, uh, Sheriff Garrett, they, he said they oh, were friends. Yeah. That was all misrepresented. He says they were friends and that uh, he even brought up the possibility that Billy the Kid lived in old to an old age. This was before 30 years later, you're hearing stories about that. This man living in Texas was... 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so he had he had brought that up to me. He says, yeah, that was all that was all stories created by writers and that uh, that uh, Clay Harden or uh, uh, there was another there was another guy, uh, another outlaw, too, that had been in that his ranch area. But he was had caves. Like Jesse yeah. James, probably was it Jesse James? In the past, he mentioned the younger brothers had been through that area from Missouri, but I know uh, I don't know about Jesse James. I know they were tied together, the Youngers and the James. But he mentioned that, uh, and they and he was buried in uh, Billy the Kid was buried in Lincoln County, uh, and they changed the. Uh, I I lived in Grant County, but. A lot of what Billy the Kid did was in Grant County. I know they changed the county lines between Lincoln and Grant County. So at one time, Billy was in Grant County, and then they changed that, and that, uh, that was originally Lincoln, and then they changed it to Grant. I'm not sure how he explained that to me, but uh, I was like, uh, but he told me a lot of these stories, and he mentioned the Bigfoot story that I told you earlier, and I guess it just went in one ear and out the other. So even after I had the camping experience, all I knew is there was something big basically skirting my camp, just out of beyond my sight, just beyond the uh, my flashlight beam. So I came to the conclusion that I uh, it wasn't until, I want to say, months later that I started hearing more stories about Bigfoot, and I thought maybe that's what I experienced. Well, you now know why nobody's found that treasure. If that's what is out there running around, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. If, that's there's a big, <laughs> if there's a bunch of Bigfoot out there in that area, uh, nobody's finding that treasure because you're not really, you're not gonna, not gonna. Well, this area uh, where I, this area where I was at, Shane, in uh, in the Black Range Mountain, uh, at the Black Range Mountains are the gateway to the Gila Wilderness, and and in that area, you have the the Gila Cliff dwellings which are where the Anasazi, these uh, uh, ancient yeah. people, uh, had these cliff dwellings. And where I was camping, there that area is riddled with Anasazi ruins, pottery, and, 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 and people that are claiming to be, uh, that are people that in the archaeology business have claimed that uh, ruins or relics that uh, either are from descendants of the Anasazi or preceded the Anasazi are all part all throughout the Gila wilderness area. So when I was in the black range mountain, I was in the Gila wilderness area. That's, that's one of the mountain ranges that go through the Gila wilderness. And I, 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 I missed the opening to visit the cliff dwellings there when I was there because I was working, like I said, a full-time and a part-time job. But uh, I was familiar with the Anastasi, and I did come across petroglyphs on rocks in an area not far from where I lived in Santa Clara, in an area called the Fort Baird Refugee. And I just looked at it like, oh, these are petroglyphs. That's interesting. Uh, you know, unless I would have had a Kodak Instamatic camera, there were no, I didn't have cell, cell phones weren't a thing back then. So uh, I was like... Uh, a lot of this stuff was uh, nowadays thing. It would be totally different. I would have been mm-hmm. yeah. videoing it, probably maybe uh, t- tracing, you know, taking a, a carbon trace of it just to have sort of evidence to show people. Um, 
So let me ask you this: when you got up in the when you got up and got out of there in the morning from your campsite, did you take a look around to see if you could figure if there you could see footprints or anything and kind of figure out what it might have been, or were you just intent on getting out of there? I was, uh, yeah, at the time I was 27, 26, 27 years old. I was uh, scared, uh, not out of my mind, but I was scared. I was just couldn't wait to throw everything in the backpack and uh, slug some water and get out of there. I think I had a, a snack with me. I had some kind of a I don't know. I had a snack uh, bar or something with me and I just took off a granola bar and I just, I just took off up the mountain and hiked. Uh, it took me a few hours to get to the mountaintop to where I was parked. But uh, I was like, uh, I look back at that now knowing what I know now. And I would have been definitely all up and down that Creek bank. I would have been looking for prints. I would have been looking for hair. I would have been looking for all other kinds of trace evidence. And what I didn't tell you is the day I arrived that I had several hours of sunlight I did walk along that creek bank and followed it out. I did get lost, but I did follow that creek out to a section going between uh, this, uh, these two, uh, it's where the mountain, these two mountain ranges converge into an area where you have these, uh, I guess you'd call them, uh, where the creek dumps into these little uh, shelving type areas. Uh, well, they call them arroyos, but this is this crystal clear water. There, there were these descending puddles carved out of the rock between these two sections of mountain. And uh, when I was walking to that area, right before I realized I got lost, I was hearing, and the only thing I could figure out is I thought somebody was in that valley with me that was like a carpenter because I could hear like knocking, like uh, somebody was like... Uh, like somebody was was hitting a two by four with a hammer, and I, and that's what I thought. And I would look around intensely into some of these trees that were bordering this creek bed, within twenty to thirty yards from where I was standing, and I could hear the knocks coming out of there. And I I was like, what's going on? You know, I was like, I'd look, and I, and then the minute I turned away, the knocks would occur again. Now looking back at that, I realized because now I've recorded wood knocks, and it's no big thing. It's like it comes with the territory if you're researching Bigfoot. So, but that back then I was like, who's over there? I thought somebody, there was another camper down there like me. And he was like, I don't know, knocking on wood with something. And that's the, now I know that wasn't that at all. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you gone camping and, and, uh, knocked on wood? You know, <laughs> unless you were trying to, you know, do something for Sasquatch. I mean, yeah, well, I couldn't conceive who would be down there that walked 11 miles down the mountain from mm -hmm. the pull-offs where they get parked, would come down there and be in there with, you know, I'm thinking, what are they doing knocking on wood? Are they like sawing trees down and they're going to carry them back up to the mountaintop? Or what, you know, I was like, what I was trying to, I was trying to reason it out. And I'm thinking I didn't come up with an answer. And then later on, I realized, uh, oh, you know, years later when I started hearing other people's audio recordings of wood knocks, and then I started hearing them in Illinois, uh, power knocks, uh, so loud, you, you could tell they weren't gunshots, but they definitely were as loud as gunshots. And I've got several recordings of, of, of those type of wood knocks and even the, the subtle ones 
where they're just gently knocking and they're close by. I've had that happen and uh, not squirrels, not blue jays, nothing like that. And uh, yet uh, back then I, I was just totally uh, new, unaware of what was going on. I mean, this was only not even a little over 10 years after the Patterson uh, Gimlin film came out. Well, and I think everybody, um, you know, from that era, that that that's their benchmark is the Patterson Gimlin, the the Boggy Creek movie, in search of. You, you didn't really think that, uh, like, you're from Illinois. You probably didn't think Bigfoot was in Illinois. I certainly didn't think Bigfoot was in Ohio, and you may not have even you just thought it was in on the West Coast. You know, something in the in Washington and in California, you know? So why would you think that? Yeah. And that's what I thought. I, I thought, oh, it's up there in the, Pacific you know, the area. It's probably up there in Washington, Oregon. What I got to worry about. And some, some old rancher guy tells me, yeah, I seen Bigfoot uh, sitting on the bluff out here, you know? And I was like, yeah, he's probably, you know, drank too many tequilas at night, you know, and just basically maybe even swallowed, ate the worm, you know, and and I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, uh, you know, I worked, I worked with a lot of people out there and uh, people were pretty closed mouth in that community. I worked in the town I worked in was, uh, I worked in Silver City during the week. And then on the weekend, I worked on, uh, on uh, the the Dunn Ranch. And he, uh, and during when I worked during the week, I worked with uh, basically I was they were mostly Latinos, but the community Silver City at that time was 98 percent Latino. So it was like, you know, my best. From what I remember, it was like living in Mexico, but you were just north of the border and you had all the uh, the benefits of living in the United States. Uh, that was the only difference. And it had an impact on my life because. Uh, I won't go as far as saying it was culture shock, but being from, you know, Illinois, uh, it was, uh, you know, I didn't know a lot of people that were Latino and I didn't, uh, you know, I grew up in a pretty much primarily white occupied neighborhood. So, uh, I, you know, it was sort of interesting. I, I, I was able to put my Spanish to use. I, I had six years of Spanish in school and never thought I would use it, but I sure did use it down there. Now, so you have this experience in 1979. Mm-hmm. What, uh, I mean, how long is it before you decide you're going to, you know, get back into research and Bigfoot? You know what I'm saying? Like, did, did that keep you from camping for a while did it keep you from um you know or or did you did you say i want to go out and and see if i can figure this out you know i mean so what point did you get back into the whole bigfoot thing oh i i got back to it uh immediately i mean i uh within that time of uh of me uh having that encounter uh it was not even a week or two weeks later i walked across a road i think it's highway 90 or one night 
190, I forget the actual name, but it goes through Santa Clara on the way to uh, Pinos Altos and then to Silver City. There's a highway that, uh, and it was a few blocks from my house from where I lived, and I could just walk uh, two blocks north, hit that highway, and across that a street, across that highway was an area called the Fort Baird Refugee, and it was basically a, a conservation area where they tagged elk. And there were coyotes and mountain lions and black bears there, too. And I thought I wanted to reproduce that, see if I could create or at least trigger uh, a response like I had that night by just being there. Now, this was not uh, in the mountains. This was sort of uh, what I call, uh, I wouldn't even call it high desert. It was semi-desert area in Fort Baird, and I walked across it. Had a flashlight with me, took my dog with me again, walked into the desert. I got about, I don't know, a quarter of a mile, half mile into the desert. And this is all flat area with, you know, just populated by creosote cactus and and all sorts of other uh, scrub oaks. And as I got in there, I realized this was worse than the mountains. Something about the semi-desert is sort of... Uh, you want to call it spooky or very uh, just uh, there was a sense that uh, I just didn't feel comfortable. And I just turned around and I walked back out. This was at, in total darkness. I had my flashlight with me. But uh, so I subsequently ended up moving back to Illinois. My grandfather uh, was in the hospital and my family wanted me back for him. So I ended up uh, moving back to Illinois found another job and uh in the process i started going back to my old campsites uh in in and around certain state parks and conservation areas where i had previous encounters and uh, one particular one in 1978 the year before i left for new mexico which stood out in my mind as very similar to the encounter i had in new mexico with the one exception this happened during the daytime so I, I just basically resumed. I was like looking for these creatures and their trace evidence, their footprints, uh, not knowing what I was, should be doing. I was just basically a, an amateur. I was just an amateur at what I was doing. I was looking for, you know, as I was looking for trace evidence, uh, I, I, got in a habit of finding morel mushrooms because they're growing around the base of a lot of these trees and, and dead elms and stuff and uh, i'm sure they have them in ohio but usually in spring around uh, may into june you can come across morels and that's a big thing here even in in illinois and wisconsin so i was i was going out under the pretense of mushroom hunting and looking for footprints all at the same time uh so uh i went on these excursions usually a lot of times by myself and uh and i started always camping with a friend or two i i realized hey maybe if i can have somebody with me uh i can have some you know it's not just my word to the public it's you know i got somebody to verify it or validate it because they're with me and they witness it too so i always had a friend with me or in most cases it was either my wife uh or my son, as he got older, he would go with me. And uh, my son quit going with me probably 
in the mid uh, 2000s uh, when he realized uh, he was that he was bait. That he was scared. Yeah, he was scared. <laughs> he, was, he was scared. <laughs> yeah, his so. excuse. He, <laughs> the excuse he gave me after we had a couple close encounters, which scared the hell out of him. In uh, his comment to me one day, one night, we had this uh, tornado come through, and uh, right before the tornado hit. We were in northeastern Iowa. This would have been, I want to say, seven, six, about six years ago, seven, six years ago. And I told him, uh, I said, yeah, I said, this is a highly active area. Of course, he was skeptical and he had never experienced what I had experienced early on. But he I think he knew I wasn't lying, but I guess he just came to see for himself. And we had uh Right before this tornado came through and came through at pretty close to where we were camping, tore some trees down in the area, we uh, we heard something in, in total darkness. This was at 10, 10, 10, 30 at night. It sounded like a herd of elephants running up the hill behind our camp. And the first thing my son says to me, he says, uh, what are all those people? Why is there a bunch of people running up? through the this timbered hill with flat without flashlights and i told them uh i says those aren't those aren't people as you know them is what i told them i said those aren't i said those aren't because uh, he, he thought he says well there's trailers down there why would people be out in total darkness in the hills the forested hills behind our our camp just running like a herd of buffalo through those hills and i said those aren't people uh are, you know our kind of people and then later on, he mentioned to me, he says uh, that I went out, I think, on a couple more excursions, daytime excursions with him where we did a, a couple of just walk, you know, hikes into the uh, basically uh, conservation areas. Some of our state parks, we went off trail and did some uh, basically uh, busting our butts going through, uh, you know, a lot of thick thickets and stuff and he at one point when i asked him to do an overnight with me after the situation happened in iowa he told me he says you know he says i'm married now i've got a family i've got my daughter i i need to be there for him and i respect him for telling me that he didn't want to uh be a casualty You said your your wife went out with you. Did she just think you were you guys were just out camping and, and uh, hiking and stuff? Well, I mean, recently, no, I never told her we would go camping. And meanwhile, I'm I'm, I'm doing this investigation, listening, looking for trace evidence. She would always ask me what I'm looking for, and I would always tell her, I'm just seeing if there's coyote tracks underground. I always had some kind of answer. At some point, I just finally I finally came clean, like I told you. Uh, I believe it was. After 30 years of keeping the secret, I just told her what happened to me in New Mexico. And then she, at that point, uh, she sort of became an enthusiast. She was like, oh, I'm interested now. So then when she would go out on these daytime excursions, these hikes, 
she would hear the uh, the audio. She would hear the uh, the sound. She would hear wood knocks, growls, uh, what sounds like people talking in a distance, uh, an intelligible language of some sort. And she would she would keep she would even find structure, tree structures, stick structures, and point them out to me. So she came pretty. She became sort of a an amateur investigator early on and uh but then of course as we got older it tapered off we have grandkids now we have to keep an eye on for my kids and uh i don't get out in the field in the winter as much as i used to like it is now and she uh definitely is sort of uh as even though she's interested in it, she doesn't, uh, she's like, no, I'm not going to, uh, well, she's coming up on knee replacement surgery. So she doesn't really want to go hiking in uh bush, uh, basically bushwhacking. Cause usually I don't stay on trail. I usually go off trail at some point and follow the evidence. And, uh, it's given me quite a lot of, uh, I'll put it this way, exciting occurrences happening when I do that like rocks being thrown at me, sticks followed up uh, immediately by wood knocks if I don't turn around and leave. Usually the rock throws are an indication, hey, you're coming too close. And they're pretty nice about it. They throw the rocks just enough to where it comes close enough to make you realize, yes, something just threw something at me. And if you proceed, you'll usually hear, with, uh, as it did recently with me, within 30 seconds after I continued i heard a double wood knock which prot was like I'm, I'm right here i'm 40 feet away from you and at that point that was that was my signal to just turn around and leave because uh it's been my experience that uh i've seen them already now on thermal i've seen them crawl into camp on all fours uh, a couple times i've seen them uh walk within 12 feet of uh, sitting next to my friend uh, in the middle of the forest one night and one walked within 12 feet of him and I was sitting right next to him and I saw it and I go Dave one just walked right past you and he's like what and by the time he looked it was gone but uh, that's it got to the point where it was a common occurrence we would do an overnight what I call a cold camp no fires no flashlights and just sit there in the middle of the forest and uh, enough spot that we had picked out the previous time we were there and then things would happen uh, one instance we had one crawl into camp and then disappear behind a brush pile and uh i saw that i believe the same creature 15 to 20 minutes earlier on my thermal uh 95 feet away peeking at me from behind a tree and we measured that creature at about we figured it was eight to eight and a half feet tall when we did the comparison the following morning. I went to that spot and I had Dave stay at our original position and then he measured approximately how much taller it was than me standing next to that tree. So uh, so this is uh, what we've been doing for, or what I've been doing for over 40 years now. It's sort of, this is their fruition of of where it ended up bringing me to the point where uh, seeing them, I've seen them only mostly at nighttime, seeing the eye shine, the audio uh, is just crazy. Uh, four hours of things 
these uh, what I believe are the adolescents throwing things at us to get her get a reaction out of us. We had that happen one night where it was just nonstop things being thrown at us, bouncing at our feet, bouncing around us. Uh, these are lateral throws being pitched at us. And, uh, and when we lost interest in it, they stopped throwing stuff, you know, and then they just sort of, they got bored. So that, that's been part of my experience. I mean, there's so many things that have happened over the last several decades that I, it just, uh, you know. Well, the the one the one incident that you just talked about that really I'd like to get, dig into just a, a little bit here is the one crawling into camp. So how how creepy is that? And kind of describe what that was like to witness that and what and what it was you saw exactly. Yeah, it's uh, the first time I saw it was on thermal. And it was uh, I had. I had a FLIR. Uh, Scout. 623 a FLIR. Scout 3620, I believe it's called or 320, but it doesn't. Uh, it's used for deer hunting, but it doesn't record video or take pictures. But it's a, it's a great security, you know, thermal security camera is what I call it. And I'm just, we're in the, this is in Illinois. It's probably 45 minutes from where I live now. And this is an area, it's a hot spot here in Illinois. And it's an area where, uh, uh, where that the BFRO guy had his first sighting, uh, mm. He actually, my, one of my fellow researchers brought him there and he had his first sighting in this area. And that's where I've also seen him. But we're in, this is my first thermal sighting of the creature there. We're sitting in, a, in private land, privately owned land. We're sitting, there's a deadfall of a big log laying on the ground, probably two and a half, three feet in diameter. You know, Rick ball and everything exposed. And we picked that spot. We had seen it a previous day excursion, and we said, let's come back and set up a nighttime. And we call them cold camps. So me and my friend Dave, we went in there. He's a Native American guy, and we went in there. And uh, I had, uh, when I had been there previously, I saw some tree arches with some sticks leaned up against the tree arch. This was a, a fairly good-sized sapling standing straight up. The sapling was probably 20 15 to 20 feet tall and the end of the sapling uh, had been, it had been pulled down and the top of the sapling was pinned to the ground. And then it had a bunch of sticks leaned up on the arch on both sides. And then there were some other smaller structures that were, I call them uh, leans or whatever that were sort of built into that. And I saw, saw that tree, uh, that log laying on the ground about not even 40 feet from it, just to the, uh, it would be to the east of it. And I said, let's just set up here. And he agreed. He said, it'd be a perfect location. So we came on the, uh, on the, the night that we were supposed to camp there. We came uh, a good hour before sunset. 
and we hiked in and we basically a cold camp is you just you throw a thermal blanket down or uh, I usually have a deer pad I uh, like you use in a stand you sit uh, sit on and I threw that insulated pad on the ground and then uh, we only use red lights we don't use actual you know flashlights or any kind of white light and we don't have a campfire and I know it got down to probably 30 yeah, around 32, 33 degrees at night, it got pretty close to freezing. So we're sitting on the ground, and this is during the fall, where there's really, I found spring and fall are the most active times, at least here in Illinois. So we're sitting on the ground, and uh, I'm looking through my flare at about 12 o'clock. And I see, uh, I'm panning from right to left, and Dave's sitting next to me. He's sitting to my left and so we have uh, this backrest of this giant log. And I, I'm scanning from my right to left. All of a sudden, I see this uh, probably not even 25, 30 feet from me. The weeds at that point were two feet tall, 18 inches tall at best. And just thick, brushy weeds. But, you know, you could during the daytime, you could see through the weed bed pretty easily. But at nighttime, you couldn't. So I have my thermal, and, I, and all of a sudden I see what appears to be the top or back, what appears to be the haunches or buttocks, and these humps where the shoulder would be. And then, of course, I, like I said, the what would be the, hump, the, the other hump or butt where you would think the thigh, the top of the thigh was. But that's all you could see. But as it was crawling on all fours, I call it spider crawling, I occasionally see the upper part of its arm and the upper part of its thigh as it was crawling. And it was so silent. And I could, took my thermal away from my eye several times and could not see it. But I could hear just the light, just barely like something crawling on the, uh, the, the leaf litter. But if you didn't pay attention to that, you would assume that was just the wind doing that. But it was ever so, so quietly being done. And as I look back through my thermal, it was moving relatively fast. It was about if you were at a fast walk, that's what I would say the speed it was going at. So I'm watching this thing crawl from our right to our left. And as it goes to the left, it's getting a little closer to us. And I immediately take the thermal and I go, Dave, look, look right here where I'm pointing this. And you could see probably your hand in front of your eye. You had enough starlight where you had, you know, your nighttime vision a little. I gave it to him. He looks and he goes, yeah, I see it. It's crawling. He goes, what the hell? There's no head. And I'm going, I know I can't see a head. He goes, and there's no tail. And I go, I know. I says, he says, that's not a cougar. And I said, I know you would see the head. You definitely would see the tail. We didn't see any of that. So Dave followed it and it went to our left and it went to a ravine between these two hills. And right in between that ravine was a brush pile of wood that had fallen down from the top or slopes of that hill. And that wood had accumulated in the ravine between those two hills, what I call a wood pile, but it was all natural. He followed that thing crawling on all fours behind the wood pile. 
and he's describing it to me. And I'm like trying, I, I'm trying to grab the flare out of his hand. Like, I want to see it, you know, cause I was excited. And he's like, it just crawled behind the wood pile. It disappeared. And he says, now I see its head pop up above the wood pile and it's looking right at us. So that was one of the experiences we had. And we were, you know, and, and like I said, we had seen, I want to say a half hour, 35 minutes before that, we saw what we assume might have been the same creature 95 feet ahead of us at our 12 o'clock peeking out from behind this big tree. The tree was probably easily 13, 12, 13 inches in diameter. And it was sort of funny because it would peek out behind the, from behind the tree. And yet you could see its forearm, its left forearm and hand around the left side of the tree in front of it. And then you'd see the rest of its body leaning out to the right. And you would see its head, part of its chest, shoulder, all the way down to its hip and upper thigh. And then at that point, you couldn't see any more because of either the weed line or we finally found the next next morning that it was actually because that section of ground was below level where we were standing. There was sort of a, a little gully there or, or a, a spot where it bottomed out a little. So we're lo- I'm looking at that thing through the thermal. And at that point, I handed it to Dave and he saw it too. When he saw it, it stopped. It was leaning out to its right, looking right at, right at us. He says, then it stepped away from this tree to its right, did an about face, and he says it walked away, directly away from us, and he made the comment uh, about it having this big rear end, and he mentioned a celebrity's name, and I'm not going to say it, because that's it's got a big end, but just like a big <laughs> bottom like this, you know, and I'm not going to say your name, because I don't want to get you in trouble, but, and I was like, what? He goes, yes, he says he's got it, it it has this huge butt. As it walked away, you could see its buttocks, and he says it was huge. And, uh, and we estimated, oh, it's six, six and a half feet tall. You know, it's a little taller than us. Well, the next morning we went in there, we got to that tree. That tree, we actually walked down a little in elevation to where that tree was. It was like below the rise from where we were sitting. So... Once we did the estimation, the comparison, we realized, oh, this thing was a lot taller than we thought. It was eight, eight to eight and a half feet in, in height. So that, so that then was forever, forever known as the Sir Mix-a-Lot sighting. The I like big butts. I mean, come on, anybody get that? <laughs> anyway, yeah. well, I'll, I'll put it this way: he compared it to a, a lady who had a talk show, and I'm not going to go any further. <laughs> she was a well-endowed person and he goes, she's got a butt like so-and-so. And, you know, he got to see it actually step out from away from the tree. I thought it was sort of funny. I said, it's standing behind a tree that was just, you know, if it would have profiled behind the tree, I probably wouldn't have seen it, but it was standing facing me, uh, you know, just in a horse stance or whatever you want to call it, looking toward us, leaning out from the tree. And you could see the thermal was unmistakable. You could see, the heat signature on both sides of the tree was wider than the tree. And I'm thinking to myself, and you could see after it walked away from the tree and turned around and, and walked away from Dave, 
he gave the thermal back to me and I could still see the handprint on the tree on the front of the tree where it was like using the tree as an anchor to lean out from it. And at that point I said, uh, and that's what I like about thermal. I can walk up to a cold spot, you know, on a tree or on the side of your paneling on your house, uh, on the siding of your house and put my hand there and, and it'll hold that heat for, you know, a minute or maybe longer. You'll still see that, that heat just being dissipated. I, I tell you, I, I tell you what, though, every time I hear a story about one of these creatures crawling, it almost sounds cartoonish. Like it does ne- none of it ever sounds natural. Like that is something, of course, I yeah. can imagine something that big crawling anyway. I mean, I, I can't get down and crawl. Well, the only, yeah, it, it did. It did sound sort of even our, you know, when I, we looked at it, when we're looking at it. We're like, it's not. It's not computing in our minds, you know, because we're saying, well, we don't see a head. We don't see a tail. We just see what looks at like the shoulder and the buttocks area and this back that was flat, very much like a big man's back. But it uh, it made sense to me later on when I seen the profile of the the one walk past us that was uh, 12 feet from Dave's right shoulder and i saw how its head was sort of sitting between its shoulders but below its shoulders like their head is like like there is no neck Hmm. and this was a smaller one this one couldn't have been any taller than me 510 but it was thick from front to back i mean it was thick it was it was no taller than me it easily outweighed me by 100 maybe 150 pounds. It was like a 510 fullback that weighed 290, you know, or, or even over yeah. 300. But uh, that's when it made sense. I said, oh, wait a second. And then I thought about all the other eyewitness sightings that I had seen in documentaries, descriptions, pencil drawings, and sketches, where the head is sort of placed a little forward of the strapezius muscles behind your neck and then sort of below the uh the shoulders slightly below the shoulders they're not like their head is not perched on the top of their shoulders like ours are and so that made sense when it was crawling its head was there you just couldn't see it it was below the weed line so you know uh that's that's the first thing i thought of uh it was crawling on its hands and feet. And then I thought, well, that would make sense because then later on, several months later, we went back with a third man to an area not far from there, probably not even a hundred yards from that location, closer to the creek bed. And we had another crawler come directly into camp. This time we saw it with our naked eye and it came in from a ravine just east of us. There was a ravine that follows the railroad tracks. And, and then this ravine is the runoff ditch or runoff ravine that fill, uh, drains water into this creek. It walked down this ravine. Now, we figured all this out the next morning when we went ahead and we researched, you know, investigated where did it come from. But we're sitting again 
at the base of another fall down log with our backs against the log. And the third guy was behind us on the other side of the log. He was already in his bedroll and it was like 18 degrees at night. It got pretty cold and we're cold camping. And again, we have, I have my night vision, my flare. And, uh, I think the other guy, uh, Mitch had his night vision, but he wasn't using it. He was rolled up in a sleeping bag and getting ready for the night. And out from the east of us, from this ravine, we didn't see it come out of this ravine. We just saw there was a tree. I want to say there was a, like a hedge apple tree just west of this little ravine. And that put that this hedge ball tree about 35 five feet from our 12 o'clock where we were sitting and I'm watching this tree in the area around at 12 o'clock I had set my thermal down and, and we had enough moonlight and starlight where I, our eyes adjusted and you could see fairly well and out from in front of this tree all of a sudden I see the base of the tree get wider and then it, this thing this like huge spherical shaped or half moon shaped object on the ground blots out the base of the tree and all of a sudden starts getting closer to us and the next thing I realized I said Dave do you see that he's to my left looking 12 o'clock right where I'm looking and he goes I see it and as this thing looms and gets closer to us realized it was something crawling on all fours but it was silent. You couldn't hear it. So I, Dave stood up and goes, who is that? And then I stood up and I looked. Neither of us, you grabbed our flashlights. And I had the thermal sitting on the ground next to where I was sitting. I didn't even, I didn't even think to turn it on or look. This thing stopped its forward momentum. At this point, I'd say it was at least 35 to 30 feet from us. It got, from That tree was at least 40 feet away. So it made... He made a little progress toward us. Then when we stood up and Dave said, who is that? This thing reversed direction like crab crawled in reverse. It didn't even turn. You know, I didn't see it turning around. And again, it was. You couldn't make out any detail because it was dark other than the outline. It looked like something crawling toward us. It was not a bear. Didn't have that type of shape. It reminded me of. The spider, the one that spider crawled that I saw on thermal months earlier reminded me of that. And so it just reversed direction. And even Dave said it crawled backwards without turning around. And so then the next morning we went to that spot in front of the tree, walked behind the tree and about 15 feet, 18 feet behind the tree was this ravine. And we went down into the ravine and standing in that ravine. I'm five, well, I'm five, nine now standing in that ravine. People could, from where we were sitting, you could walk that entire ravine and nobody could see you from where we were sitting. So it was just like a, a hidden access point that they walked to the creek bed, probably use it all the time. Wow. That's... So that, that, that was that experience of another crawler that we had. Uh, and this came, like I said, this came right directly toward us. It wasn't like the other one that was going from right to left and just sort of a sort of skirting where we were at, just sort of 
checking us out. No, this one was, had we not said anything or not seen it, I believe it would have probably came right up to us. Well, and, and, and they're just doing this to, to kind of stealthily move about. I mean, is that the thought? I mean, I think I don't. Go ahead, Shane. I, well, what I don't understand is they're so hard to see seemingly just walking around regular. Why would you go through the trouble of crawling? You know? Well, it's, I think they, I mean, they were, and I think they, I definitely, I can't prove it, but I've come to the conclusion they have excellent night vision, probably as good or better than our third generation night vision. Now, I'm not talking about uh, thermal. I'm talking about actual, you know, military yeah. night vision. So if they have better than third generation night vision, they're at a standoff distance. Who knows? 50, 100 yards watching us sit there and seeing us from a distance and then deciding, well, I think they're doing it out of curiosity because we're not like the camper who goes and pulls his car over, whips out the tent, puts it up, gets a fire going, starts cooking uh, hamburgers or hot dogs where they could sort of sit up uh, beyond the tree line and watch us and, and make noises or do whatever. And then people just generally will dismiss that. That is a good way does work to your benefit to do that just go about your business and they do get curious and come in but they're a lot harder to see if you got a fire going you got lights hanging around your campfire you know you got uh you know outdoor lanterns or whatever you decide to use uh it's sort of hard to see them but you can hear them but the thing is is uh we were doing something that spiked their curiosity and it was something that normally humans don't do. Humans just don't walk into a section of forest and decide, oh, there's a good spot here to sit down among these grove of trees, this little clearing here, and just make ourselves the bait. I think that's what they 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 triggered them to figure out what the hell are these guys doing? Who are these? I'm sure they knew they we were humans because we were the whole time we were there. We were acting just like when you're camping. We were doing everything campers do without the fire, without the flashlights, without any electronics other than our, our night vision. And we were talking, you know, talking about, you know, not Bigfoot. could have been, you know, our wives, our girlfriends, whatever. We're talking, you know, just shooting the, sh you know, BSing with each other. And that's what these creatures, they hear that. And they're thinking, well, where's the lights? There's all the things that accompany that come along with human activity. We're not seeing that here. And so it's resulted in some incredible evidence for us and uh, where they just come in and uh, and they have come in at nighttime camp where we've uh, had tents and we just decided to put out the fire, go to our respective tents and go to bed. And uh, this happened in Wisconsin where I had one crawl into camp and and, uh, well, it didn't crawl into camp, but uh, it walked into camp. And we had four guys in this particular campsite, all with our, each with our own tent. And one decided to single me out for whatever reason. And at 3.30 in the morning, it, I heard thump, 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 footsteps walk up right to the back of my tent, push me through the back of my tent and roll me over onto my stomach. 
Now that that's the first time I've ever had that kind of experience. And yes, I was shocked. <laughs> Just shocked. I was shocked. Well, my mouth, it was like my mouth popped open, my jaw dropped. In my mind, I'm thinking, should I let out? Uh, like, hey, guys, you know, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't want to scare this thing off. But at the same time, I'm thinking, what, why, what is, and I had several paper bags. I, I stopped at the grocery store before we went camping and I got, instead of getting the plastic bags, I got some paper grocery bags and I had uh, three bags, uh, double bagged actually with groceries in them. I had like, uh, I think a, a loaf of bread and, and some other things in one of them. The second bag I had, uh, I think, uh, a cooler, a small handheld, uh, water jug and some other things, uh, cooking supplies in there. And then I had a third bag, which had like aluminum foil and paper towels and stuff in them. And, and they were stacked along the rear wall of my tent. Well, the tent is a mountain tent. It only, it only fits one. It's a one person mountain tent. So when you lay on your back in this tent, it's the footprint of usually a six and a half foot tall man. That's about all you can fit in this tent. So when I laid on my back, my left shoulder is touching the rear wall. My right shoulder is touching the, the, the right wall, the front wall. And uh, at that point before this happened, which I think is the reason this happened, Shane, is uh, a minute or a minute and a half before that, I, I woke up and had nature call. I had to uh, relieve myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I had to turn the tent light on. And uh, I had to have a uh, a mason jar, and uh, that was sort of my my way of doing things. Instead of like unzipping the tent, walking out with a flashlight in the middle of the night, knowing there's activity in this area, I just would. So I turned the tent light on, peed in the mason jar, put the lid on it, put it down, reached up, turned the tent light off, and I laid. This time I laid on my right shoulder with my back almost touching the rear wall. And it was within, I want to say, not even 10 seconds of turning, 10, 20 seconds of turning that light off, that uh, I hear the footsteps approach the rear of my tent. This thing walks right up, just like a human, bipedal. And the next thing I know, I feel what it feels like, a hand in the small of my back, pushing through, the, the ripstop nylon of my tent, just pushing through the tent and it rolled me over on my, it pushed me so hard and it was gentle the way it did it. It kept pushing and if, that, if this thing keeps pushing and I keep resisting, I'm going to lose. So I just let it roll me over and it rolled me over to my stomach and that's when I, I had the jaw, you know, I wasn't scared, but I was like, I so badly wanted to unzip my tent. And, this, and well, by the time I would unzip my temp and unzip the rain fly, two zippers f from that moment, it would have been gone. But then again, I don't know. So at that point, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to lay here and see if I hear anything else. And then it just uh, it, it walked away. I heard it walk off. Just thump, 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 thump. Just, just casual. And it was overcast that night. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And I'm thinking, what? M not, you know, my three other camp partners... Uh, 
my three other investigators, who's walking around without a flashlight in total darkness? You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Well, ironically, the thing that probably that you think maybe drew it in is probably the lucky thing you did, because if uh, I know if I was laying there in the tent and something did that to me, I'd probably pee in my pants instead of the mason jar. Just saying, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> I uh, I'm sort of glad I did that before it walked up, because I think had it had I not. Yes, I would have peed my pants. <laughs> I don't even know, you know. Uh, I'm just going to say, I think that's a good story to end on because I don't know how you're, how we're going to beat that. That's, 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 that's I don't know how we're going to beat yeah. that. I mean, I had confirmation of it the next day when I talked to some of the, the, the three guys I was camping with, I told them that same story. I just told you and one of them goes, well, wait a second. When that right, right around an hour or so before that happened, he says within that same timeline, he says, I heard something scratching on my tent. He had this like taffeta tent. It was like a uh, fabric. And if you rake your fingers across the side of it, it's, uh, you know, it's like running your fingernails across canvas. It was so obvious. He says, yeah, it was great. It was scratching. And I go, so my impression was, is there might've been possibly more than one in camp and there. And I, I got, I came to the, uh, that at least the conclusion that there might have been they were young ones, that they were sub-adults or, or juveniles, and they're in there just like they didn't mess with our food. They they were just like they they probably went to all four of our tents and checked every one of us out. And they picked on the guy with the smallest tent, which happened to be me. They probably thought, oh, this is a kid or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I mean, I was picturing like they're probably off in the just out of sight and they're like, okay, all right, now you got to go up and you got to scratch on the tent and then they come running back. You know, now you got to go and you got to flip the guy, flip the guy over on the side. You know, it's like, almost like uh, what do they call it? County coup. Or like, you know, you were a teenager once and one guy would say, well, I'm going to walk across yeah. traffic with my, shoes off and then the, your friend goes well i'm going to do better than that i'm going to yeah that's what i imagine take all my clothes off and walk across the lane naked well I, I, it was when i told dave that i said yeah one probably scratched your tent and the other one says well i'm going to do better than that i'm going to roll this guy over you know yeah that's kind of that's how i how i kind of envision that but i mean those are some amazing those are some amazing encounters i can see why you know, you still want to get out there and investigate. And uh, uh, now, even though you're said, you know, you're slowing down a little bit, but because you, you're experiencing some crazy stuff and I can see how it kind of like hook you in to go and see what you could, what you can see next, you know, or experience next. Yeah, exactly. Shane, it does. Uh, and, and I have to even be careful that way because you know, it's, it's an interest and, uh, it's, you know, and has somewhat of a passion, but I have to, you know, sort of control that and not let it become an obsession mm -hmm. because, uh, I've been married for 40 years and I have grandkids now. My, my kids are adults and, you know, I have, you know, I have to look at my life as, you know, I have to be responsible and, and, uh, I've had, I mean, you're going to start now. 
I mean, really? You're going to start now? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I I mean, I've been sort of controlling it when I first started going full into it, like really getting passionate, you know, and I thought, boy, if it's taking away, taking away my family time and me, you know, the critical parts of uh, your life when your family's developing and their things are going on where you should be there. I, I was like, my, you know, to have your own wife tell you, well, you know, don't worry about missing this. Go off on your little adventure. You can only do that so many times where you realize, you know, I, you, you know, as part of being part of a family, you're making memories, too. It's not just about Bigfoot. Uh, so I, I had a I had to sort of sit down and realize, hey, you know, what's you know, there's important, you know, that's important to me. But uh, that's just my interest. And so I had to sort of shuttle it a little. I mean, even though uh, those events happened and it, it, it forever put, you know, emblazoned on my mind. Yes, I want to find out more, but I have to do it in a sort of responsible way and, and be careful of that. I just don't stupidly put myself out there by myself where I'm doing research, even during the daytime without uh, an in reach by Garmin, for example. Or some, you know, in case I get myself mm-hmm. in a situation where I can't self-rescue. So as I've gotten older, I, I got to consider all those other elements. Well, and I just want to point out to all of our listeners that despite what Don says, if your wife says, go off and do your little adventure, you don't even get to do it once. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just if, he's, if you got to do that a couple times then you're really playing with house money. I'm just telling you. So, yeah. And I self fund. I don't get, you know, I don't uh, promote, uh, I don't ask for money. I look at it. This is my thing. Nobody's responsible for me. I'm responsible for myself, but it has taken me all over. I've been to, I've been to Europe because of this interest. I've been, uh, I've been to Switzerland. So I've, uh, uh, my interest in Bigfoot sort of, uh, crossed into an area that I had other interests in and it, uh, sort of, uh, thought, well, hey, you know, I'll go to Switzerland. But while I was there, I realized, wait a second, there's probably Bigfoot here, too. Uh, I didn't go to Switzerland because of Bigfoot, but it's sort of it's funny where you go places and you realize, wait a second, mm-hmm. could they potentially be here? Well, I tell you what, Don, I think we could probably do like three episodes. It's, uh, I feel <laughs> like you got it. But um, I want you to share with everybody. So if uh, everybody that thought these you know, your adventures were cool and they want to kind of catch up on some of the other stuff that you're doing. And, uh, you've got some good little videos and, uh, um, and stuff like let everybody know where they can come find you and follow you. Yeah. You can uh, find me at you on YouTube at, uh, unacknowledged and unknown uh, spelled exactly that way. Uh, not one word, three words, unacknowledged and unknown and uh, on YouTube and uh, on IG, Instagram, you could find me at uh, uh, D Schneider, you and you 52. That's you and you 52, which stands for an acknowledged and unknown. So, uh, and then of course I've done other interviews and, and those respective channels, you can find me there, but they're too long of a list of <laughs> the name right now. But uh, so uh, uh, Shane's probably the first place you can find me on uh on this recording. Well, I will tell you what, I, I certainly appreciate you coming on and sharing, uh, 
you know, basically your lifetime of experiences, you know, at least the ones that you, we had time for you to share because these are, those are great. I mean, and uh, I got to hand it to you. Like I like we said before I came on, I'm an enthusiast. The guys that the guys and girls that are out there really, um, you know, boots on the ground, uh, investigating, being out there in it, you know, that's where we're going to find out what the real uh, answers are to this subject. And uh, my hats are off to all, everybody that gets out there and does that and sees the things that you've seen and still are eager to get out there and do it because uh, you got to have some nerve and uh, you got to be uh, a little crazy. Just saying. Yeah, I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm weird. We're all weird, I guess, for that. <laughs> all weird into different things but yes he uh you uh described that correctly i uh there's uh it's it i tell people don't let me convince you i said if what you see on my channel or anybody else's channels uh regarding evidence their excursions inspire you then go out there and have a game plan and uh and actually have confidence and 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 be inspired and and don't be afraid i mean have fear but again what's courage it's fear under control that's what i always tell people now i always when it comes to having a plan though i always remember the famous words of mike tyson everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth so yes everybody everybody has a plan until bigfoot crawls into camp and rolls you over in in your yeah. tent, so. um, that's exactly yeah uh we i had no plan after several of those experiences i had no plan other than to be amazed and then realize afterwards uh have the recording have the camera on have your equipment running at all times so i always take a ton of batteries with me and still to this day right when i'm doing a battery change things occur and I just want to kick myself, but it's just how things turn out. Uh, well, I, like I said, Don, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your experiences. And hopefully everybody comes out, uh, goes and uh, checks out your YouTube channel and Instagram. And, uh, you know, you can, uh, they'll, they'll see more stuff from you. So I appreciate I, you having me on, Shane. No, I. I, I I thank you. It's like I said, it's it's people like you that uh, allow us guys like me to have shows <laughs> so we can <laughs> so we can geek out and, and hear all this stuff. So. Oh, yeah, I uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, I think you uh, getting exposure and sharing the information uh, and making it freely available is going to help people uh, in the long run uh, because this has been suppressed too long and it's. Uh, and unfortunately, it's people shouldn't feel ashamed to share their experiences because maybe because of how their family or friends or coworkers treat them, they'll find there's a lot of other people out here that will support their and, and, and give them understanding regarding that. So I appreciate you doing this for everybody. Yes, I, I agree with everything you just said. So, but uh, thanks again. And uh, I, you know, I think uh, we'll be, we'll stay in touch and, I'm sure it sounds, I think, like I said, we probably got at least one more episode out of you we can get. So, oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, no no so, problem there, Shane. So, all right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs>When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.